The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 1015 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Thanks. Seven weeks now. Seven weeks. Okay, this is week number eight. About what it means to get ourselves in a place, spiritually speaking, even physically speaking, that when God puts something out there for us, because he does that, he says, I I want you to do this. This is my job today. This is my job for the next year. This is my job for the next 10 years for you. To put ourselves in a place that when that call comes, we will be ready to answer it and be an approved worker before God. It's a work in progress, folks. It really, really is. A one that never stops, I think, until the day that we leave this world and Christ changes us one day on the day we call the day of judgment and transforms us into perfect conformity with his will. Oh, we'd love to get there in this life. Unfortunately, I, don't, I only know of one person who ever walked the face of this earth who was in perfect, total conformity with the will of God. And that person was God. We call him Jesus. All right? Um, so it's a work in progress, and that's okay. Seven weeks we've been on this. And guess what, folks? We're just about halfway. We're just a little over halfway through it. This is important, and there's a reason why we're going this route that you're going to find out more and more about as the weeks come. Tell you what, let's let's ask God to be with us as we dive in today, all right, into his word, what he wrote to Timothy and to Titus so many years ago that still speaks to us today. Would you pray for me, please? Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the way that it lays us wide open sometimes. We thank you for the wonderful things it says to us, the graceful words, the the plan of salvation, Lord, the promise of eternal life and glory. Lord, that's words powerful, and it can be an incredible encouragement to us. But, Lord, it can also teach us, and it can also discipline us. And we pray, Lord, that when your word cuts deep, that we would allow it to cut on us and dig into us. And it, combined with the Holy Spirit, change us. Father, if there's anything that needs to change in our lives that is brought out by your word today, help us to be willing to change help us to lean upon the Holy Spirit who will cause us to change. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What do you think of when I say the word vice? Vice. Now, when I say this, there might be a variety of different things, and I can already see which way Gary's mind is thinking, okay? All right, that Gary, not that Gary. You guys are in direct line here, and I'm probably going to be talking about you later, Gary, so I won't be talking about you, Gary, when I'm talking about this Gary, okay? Just so we understand. Okay. 
Is this what you think of? Do you think of Don Johnson, pastel colors, and loafers without socks? Anybody remember the guitar lick with Miami Vice? You remember that? You remember that? No, if you're thinking about that, if you take out Don Johnson and replace him with a guy named Robbie Johnson, you have just completely and totally described the old junior high dances that I used to go to. (laughs) Okay? So maybe that's what you think of when you think of Vice. Um, Maybe with Vice, and this kind of goes along with the Miami Vice, you think of the bad elements of society, or perhaps, Gary, you think of a tool used in your shop, sometimes on a stand. I'm going to give you, it all depends upon which letter you use. It's it's a four-letter word in both cases. One has an S. One has a C. So let's, let's define just for a moment one with a C first. V-I-C-E. Now, without going into a whole lot of detail, because under that one, Merriam's, you know, Merriam's Webster Dictionary was, I just said, that's a turkey, by the way, Merriam's, if you're a turkey hunter. Sorry, it just came out of nowhere. Sometimes squirrels just pop out and you don't even expect it. Okay, Merriam's and Webster Dictionary, I mean, it's a lot underneath underneath vice with a C. So I just took it down to three words that reoccurred several times. Corruption, failing, and habitual. Okay, now let's look at this one. Vice with an S, V-I-S-E. One of many tools, various tool with two jaws used for holding on to something. Now, let me ask you this. Do you see a connection between those two words? Vice and vice. Becoming an approved worker, that's what we've been talking about. I I told you for seven weeks now, this is where we've come so far. Okay, the very first thing we looked at is that according to the list that we get in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to bounce around from about three places today, but we will start here, very end of your New Testament. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if you look to verse 2 and 3, you'll begin to see some things. First of all, you'll see that in this list of becoming a mature follower of Christ, what you have first here is a good reputation. Reputation does matter. It does. Now, what we said that day, even more emphasized the next week, and we'll continue to emphasize, is that God is much more concerned about the future than the past. Don't ever fall into the trap of allowing yourself to think, I cannot be used by God because my reputation has been damaged. Well, rebuild it. God's concerned about the future, okay? Moral purity is one that was talked about, being mature follower of Jesus Christ, a balanced life. And and what that means is this, knowing that our home is not this world. Our our home that we were made for is is the home that God, and and according to scripture, that the son is preparing for us even now. And that will be our eternal destination. Wise living. Um, Wise living looks a little like this. In terms of what Paul is using, it's, it's a correct observation or correct view, a correct standpoint of how you view God, how you view yourself, how I view myself, and how I view others. All right, follow that one with this, respectable. Respectable is keeping what comes out of our mouth and how we behave aligned. 
All right. What I'm saying is matching up with what I'm doing. Hospitable. I like I like that word. I still think of Aunt B when I think of that word. But hospitable, hospitable specifically is how how we can use our resources. More resources later. We're going to jump into that here in a couple of weeks as we work our way through this list. But specifically, hospital has to do with our homes. Are we using our homes to advance the kingdom of God? Okay? Last week, we looked at teaching well. A mature follower of Jesus should be able to teach and teach well. And what we talked about last week is the fact that most of the learning that we take part in as students throughout our lives doesn't happen in a classroom just happens in life and some of the greatest teachers in our lives did not wear the name teacher they were just people who helped us grow and a follower a mature follower of jesus is someone who helps others grow and guess what guys in those seven we got through one verse (laughs) one verse seven weeks one verse okay told you it's going to take a while so now we're going to jump into verse three but we're going to start again In verse 2, matter of fact, I would very much like to start in verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement that if any man aspires to be an overseer, the office of overseer is the fine work he desires to do. As I told you before, do not let you, I don't think, well, I don't want to be an overseer in a church, so I don't have to pay any attention to this. No. This is a mature man, woman, follower of Jesus Christ. All right. Verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We talked about all of those. Next one in verse 3. Not addicted to wine. Remember what I said? Is there a connection between vice and vice? I saw some heads already beginning to nod. Yes, you are already knowing the direction we were going. Because we know this and we understand this, every one of us on a personal level, that addiction has to do with this. When something grabs a hold and doesn't want to let go and is incredibly difficult to shake, somewhat like a vice or a vice. All right. We're going to be bouncing around here a little bit when it comes to this subject today. First place we're going to go is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So why don't you go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be looking at just one verse there. Right in the middle of our New Testament, it's the two letters that we have in our Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We call it Corinthians, okay? I asked a question on Wednesday night. Wednesday night in this very room, we have a group that regularly meets, and we're working our way through the book of Romans. All right, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I hope it's fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for the class. I hope so. Um, but but we just, we're just, de- I mean, just looking closely at, at the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Rome and why he wrote it, so on and so forth. Now, this is the question that I asked the class because we got this week, working our way through chapter 2 of Romans, we got to talking about the conscience. And I asked those who were parents in that class this question. Hypothetical. Your child is 17 years old. Boy or girl, doesn't matter. They're going on their first trip that you will not be along on. Okay. You're not there. Mom, dad, not there. Okay. 
and you send them out and you tell them, if you do anything wrong, I will kill you when you get home. Okay? No, that's not what you tell them. Do you tell them this? Actually, maybe you do tell them that. Maybe you do. Okay, but, but do you say this? Do you say this? You look this loving child in the eyes and say, let your conscience be your guide. How many of you are brave enough to do that one? I think we had one hand go up in the class that night who said, I think I might be able to do that. Brave, brave woman. All right. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Has a little bit of conscience to do with it. And it's almost like Paul is telling the people of Corinth. Almost, maybe not quite, but let your conscience be your guide. When he says this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, I would, I think, I think we know enough about Paul from his writing to understand that Paul says that with one exception. Paul has one master. And we know that because Paul often calls himself the bond slave of Jesus Christ. So we could almost put a little hype, you know, a little in parentheses, parenthetical behind that. I will be mastered by nothing except my Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes it very clear to us in this letter. Paul was, was writing, very brilliant man, an incredible follower of Jesus Christ. Not a perfect man, but when he wrote... His writing was perfect. You know why? Because he was inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit to write. And what he wrote is what God had him write. And when it comes to this, Paul makes it clear that we've been given much freedom by our Father. By our heavenly, loving Father. When it comes to alcohol, it's a part of the life we live in. It's a part of the life that the church was living in 2,000 years ago. It always has been a part of this world. And when it comes to alcohol and when it comes to the church specifically, some will choose to exercise the freedom that has been given. And there's nothing wrong with that. Understand something, though. The freedom given is not drunkenness. Now look with me. We're going to look at two specific passages of Scripture. First one comes out of Proverbs. It's kind of crazy how things work out. Donna and I, when we went up for our anniversary, Proverbs chapter 23. We went up for our anniversary trip a few weeks ago up to Kansas City, went and watched the Royals. Woo! Yeah. I got to cheer for somebody. Anybody see what Jayhawks did yesterday? Their offensive output for the entire game. Not one drive. The entire game. 22 yards. 
22 yards. TCU had more yards in the first two plays of the game than KU had the entire game. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Well, we're up there watching the Royals. And we went to church at, at um, Crossroads Christian Church up there. They're, they're a camp-supporting church. Uh, I was excited about being, being there and, and seeing some of the things that Matt, one of the ministers up there, had going on. I get to see him. He was a busy guy that day. But, but we went there. It's kind of different. It's kind of interesting going to a church and being a first-time visitor, you know, and just kind of looking around. They had great donuts. Oh, my goodness. Their donuts were amazing. All right. And their coffee was pretty good, too. But anyway... Um, so we're just in, a, and, and the preacher, he was talking about a crazy thing happening in the Bible. And what he was talking about was, it, it, comes, it comes right out, right out of Daniel. He's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And this, this king by the name of Belshazzar was having a big party. And he was just rotten drunk. And this hand showed up on the wall and wrote something on the wall. Many, many, tikal parsi, which means this, your days are numbered. You have been weighed and you have come up lacking and your days are numbered. And he died that night. And the preacher kind of went off on a little bit of a, yeah, I'm not the only preacher at Chase's Squirrels, okay? So in talking about this, he went to this passage of scripture right here. Let's take a look at it. I'm, I'm going to read it for you, not out of, Tim's going to bring it up. Um, and, oh, my, my wife's going to love this. The Living Translation, huh? All right, I love you. She loves this version of the Bible, and we have arguments about it all the time. It's a good version of the Bible. It's okay. my, my phone won't. It won't. This picture won't turn, JB. There it went. There it went. I'm not very good at technology, okay? I'm sorry. Okay, but I'm going to read this for you out of, out of the New Living Translation. All right. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. You will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know when they beat me up. When will I wake up so that I can look for another drink? Solomon wrote those words, and Solomon knew a little bit about wine. It's interesting. I never saw that verse in the song, Red, Red Wine. Anybody? Red, red wine, you make me feel so fine, feel so fine, all of the time. Red. That's the best part of the song. I mean, that bass voice comes out because it's really high normally in the bass. Now it will be in your head the rest of the day. I promise you. But I never saw that. That was not like verse three of that song. That's what Solomon had to say about it. Let's turn and see what Paul has to say about it. Ephesians. Back to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, the writing of Paul, this time to a different church, a church in Ephesus. 
Ephesians 5.18. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because it wasn't too many months ago that we covered this. Ephesians 5.18. Paul is in the middle of practical discussion with the people of the church telling them how to walk. And he wasn't telling them to walk with a limp or not walk with a limp. Or No, he was saying live. That, that's a favorite phraseology of Paul to say how you live, how you walk in this life. And he says in verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. Dissipation. We talked about this word a few months ago. I'm not going to dig deep into it. I will tell you this. It's an ugly word. In its very simplest form, it means destruction. In a deeper level, it's something much, much worse than just destruction. If you want to ask me about it, I mean, we spent a lot of time in a few months ago. If you want to ask me about it after church, I'll fill you in on what that word means. It's an ugly word. All of this tells us, guys, that for the follower of Jesus, drunkenness, getting drunk, is completely condemned by Scripture. And this is why it is effectively removing oneself from the influence of the Holy Spirit and putting oneself under the influence of something else. So when we're talking about freedom found in Scripture when it comes to alcohol, nothing in Scripture condemns having a glass of wine with a good steak or having a cold beer on the deck after a long day of work. But Scripture makes it very, very clear about stopping well ahead of drunk. And if that's not possible for us, leave it alone. Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. So what's next? Now, Tim's going to pop this up here and you're going to think, wait a second, he just put the exact same thing up. But there's a different verse there. So let's look at it closely. What to do with freedom. Turn to Romans 14. Romans 14. We're going to look at the near the end of, of that chapter in verse 21. Now understand something. Those of you coming to Romans class on Wednesday nights know this. Um, the first 11 chapters of Romans is all about the gospel. It's, it's Paul, how he, how he defines the gospel, how it impacts his life, how it impacts the lives of Gentiles and Jews, so on and so forth. It's very much a teaching part of the letter. The second half of the letter, beginning in verse 12, is all about practical living. Okay? And obviously, chapter 14 comes in that second half, talking about practical living. And this is what it says. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, let's talk about this just for a moment. There was a problem with meat in the early church. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail. I'll summarize this very, very quickly. In that culture, in that day, in that time, especially in the Gentile world, which the church was reaching Gentiles in large numbers, okay, and they were worshiping people before they became Christians. Okay? They just worshiped false gods. And the ways in which, one of the ways in which they worshiped those false gods is they would go to temples. And Corinth was a place very well known for this. And they would 
drink heavily. They would lie down with prostitutes. They would do all of these things while worshiping the gods. Okay, so while they were doing this, feasting would take place, and they would bring out the meat and eat. Well, that meat had been taken from animals sacrificed to those false gods. The way Paul phrases it is this, in Corinthians and in Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament, meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul makes it very, very clear. It's meat. A T-bone's a T-bone is a T-bone, all right? It's pretty good. A ribeye is better. All right. So a ribeye is a ribeye is a ribeye. All right. It does not matter. We know that if it was sacrificed to some stupid false statue god standing up in a temple, it means nothing. But there are people who would have a problem with you eating that. And not only that, it might suck them right back into the life that they're trying to leave behind. Therefore, if it would cause your brother or your sister to stumble, don't eat it. Or drink, because that was a big part of that worshiping experience as well, that pagan worshiping experience. So how do we bring that out of that culture and put it into our lives today? I mean, last time I went through Wichita or Kansas City or Coffeyville or Deering, I don't remember seeing temples to the god Dagon or temples to the the goddess Aphrodite I don't and, and people butchering things and eating it and temple prostitutes and all this I, I don't I don't so what about us today this is what it's about when it comes to freedom the mature follower of Christ doesn't only care about what he or she can do he or she also cares about what they do and how that affects others that make any sense i use like three do's and doesn'ts and don'ts in that so let's let's try it again okay okay the mature follower of jesus christ they don't just care about what they can do. They also care about what they do doing to others. Did you know this? Children of alcoholics run a four times greater risk of becoming alcoholics than children of non-alcoholics. Children see, children do. And what I have to ask myself in a host of addictions is this. Will my freedom cause my girls to stumble? I asked Bill for permission to talk about this. Bill, how many generations do you say alcoholism had played a role in your family? don't know as far as you can remember Bill's not a drinker I didn't know if you knew that about Bill how long has it been since you had a drink 1975 good grief that's one year longer than I've been alive and 
I'm old, Bill. How old are you? No, just, you know. Okay. Now, obviously, Bill is not one year younger than me. Obviously. Sorry, I just said I'm sorry, Bill. You and Steve have it coming sometimes, you know. I just got to let you have it sometimes, all right? So he did not, he was, Bill was not born with this conviction, okay? For Bill, this conviction came along when somebody else was born. Else's were born, his children. And Bill made a commitment that my children will never see me drink. I'm breaking this chain now. It stops with me. And he said the funny thing about that is he did not say, I'm not going to stop drinking. He said, they will never see me drink. And he said, within a very short period of time, he's like, I'm just done with it. I don't really need it anymore. Because Bill did not want his freedom to ever cause his children to stumble. What about our other family, though? Well, what's it say there in Romans 14, 21? Because it says something about brother there, doesn't it? And when you see brother in Scripture, the vast majority of the time, you can tag sister right behind it, okay? Um, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which my brother or sister stumbles. Choosing not to partake when it can possibly be a problem for my brother or sister. I can tell you, it's been just, I don't know how many, over a year ago, and I was sitting in a, in a home with two of my good friends, and two of my good friends, they were, they were each drinking a beer, and we were watching, some, watching a game on TV or something, and then it was made known to them that another one of our friends pulled into the driveway of the house. And when it was made known to them, you know what they did? They lost their beers and they put it all away and said, we're done. Because they understood that it could be a problem for their brother who was coming into the house. You know what that's called? That's called love. That's called selflessness. And that's what a mature believer. We're different, folks. We are vastly different. This room is full of, oh, I'd say around 170, 180 very different people. Okay? And we were not put here on this earth to judge our differences. For one thing, God will take care of that. Abstainers, if you're someone who... who Alcohol is either either you made it made a time kind of like Bill said I'm just done with it or you've just always been that way maybe that's that's kind of the family you were raised in um, and I, we just don't drink we just we just don't do it I don't do it um, listen up don't judge those who drink a beer or have a glass of wine sometimes don't do it don't fall into that trap those who drink do not judge those who choose not to. Scripture is very clear on this. 
And folks, to be completely honest with you, I mean, Paul does talk about here wine, but we know for a fact that there are many other addictions in life, many of which are incredibly harmful. But I'm here to tell you that not all addictions are bad. I am completely 100% convinced that we were born to be addicts. I don't know anybody who's over the age of 16 to 18, 20, somewhere in there, who's not addicted to something. I think we were born that way. I think God created us that way. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves, because this is an, an addict question. What can I not cope with life Without, What do I have to have to help me cope? What do I have to have to make it? What has the vice grip on me? The real question is this. Who has the vice grip on me? We were born to be addicted to our Heavenly Father. Everyone in this world was born with that. It's the fortunate few in this world that finally find the addiction they've been longing for their entire life. We went on a trip this weekend called Rugged. It was a four-wheeling trip. It's kind of interesting. JB went on this trip, and his youngest daughter, Jagger, came up to him and said, What did you bring me after the trip? What did you, you bring me? And JB's like, He said, Well, well hon, I didn't, I didn't bring you anything. You went to Disney? And you didn't bring me anything? And I think it took a while to convince Cash that you weren't going to Disney World or Disneyland and not taking him with you. No, we did not go to Disney World or Disneyland. We went to Disney, Oklahoma, which is a close second, third to those two places, all right? I like it a lot more, a lot more. And, and as, we're, as we're there, there were some memorable moments Okay, and probably the most memorable, not Gary, Gary was was Gary Langworth. And um, there's this hill, I think it was called, was that one called Pinball? I think it was called Pinball, if I have, because I tried to climb this thing. And I, because I was driving my Jeep and Clint wasn't driving my Jeep, my Jeep didn't make it up. If Clint had been driving it, it would have made it up, no problem. But he's just a little more than I am. I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, just not. There's a difference, okay? And I don't have, it's got, anyway. So I kind of backed out and took the safe route. You know what I mean? Well, Gary's got, and he's on a four-wheeler. Four-wheelers don't have roll cages, okay? 
And he goes, picks his way up to the top. Now, I don't know how he did that, because by the time I got there, he was already up there coming down. Okay? And he's coming down, and there's, there's a pretty good little ledge drop-off that was probably about as far as from the front of the stage to the floor. And the four-wheeler started to go, but Gary went faster than the four-wheeler, over the top of the four-wheeler, and just went, and his shoulder met the ground pretty good, you know? And then we're just all concerned about him, unless you're Charlie Walls. Charlie Walls is trying to get his phone turned on so he can get a video. Well, this is what happens next. The four-wheeler does not roll over. It does stay on all four tires, and it's coming down behind him. Gary gets up off the ground, rolls out of the way, jumps up. The four-wheeler's heading down the hill. He runs, catches up with it, jumps on it, turns it back on, and rides it down the hill. (laughs) And Charlie turned his phone off, so we don't have a video of it. It was very interesting to watch. But you know what's coming. I know you know it. Sometimes life bucks us. Four-wheelers are not made to roll over us. They're made to be ridden. Life is meant to be lived, but sometimes life will steamroll. Sometimes we fail. The question is, like Gary, do we let the wheeler roll right over the top of us? Or do we get out of the way, get up, get back on the thing, and ride it down the hill? Our God is so much more concerned about our future than our past. The cross took care of the past. The past is why we need a Savior. The future is about making that Savior more and more our Lord and our Master. When life throws you, it hurts sometimes. Sometimes we mess up. But get up. God is ready and waiting to pick you up off the ground. I promise you. And get back after it. There's a lot of life yet to be lived, folks. Why don't you stand with us, please? Start doing things a little bit differently as we close down our services. And we'll be explaining more because it'll take some time. And we'll explain this more as, as the close of our services come. But, but the, uh, the elders of the congregation, they, they, do have, they do get together. They do visit. They, they talk about stuff, you know. And, and we pray that the Spirit leads them. And I think the Spirit is leading in this case. For sure, when it comes to this, they 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 would very much like. It. We always close down our service with with this challenge: If the Lord's working on your heart, don't leave here until you've talked to somebody about it. 
And what we'd like to ask you to do, there's a lot of people who hang around for a long time after church, and that's awesome. Okay? There's nothing better than, than 25 minutes after church looking out in the foyer or even looking in the back of this room and seeing a group of people just sharing life together. I mean, that's just cool. It really, really is. If that's something you want to do today, that would be awesome. But we would ask that about the last third of this room, you would just scoot back and leave this completely open up here. Because sometimes when the Lord's working on our heart, it is a little difficult and a little intimidating to come to somebody and talk about it. And when there's other ears around, it's even more difficult. Stick around. We're not telling you to leave. Please stick around. Just leave the front here open, please. And if the Lord is working on you, somewhere or another. Maybe it has nothing to do with what we looked at today. Absolutely nothing. Guys, don't leave without talking to somebody about it. Melvin, he's usually up here for quite a while. He'd love to talk to you if, if, if JB or I get busy or maybe he's the first one you want to go to. That's a wise guy. I mean that in the good, not like a wise guy, like you understand. Okay, all right. Bill will be down here. Steve's out in the foyer because he's doing because he's doing security today, but he's going to be sticking around a while. Find him. There's other people here in this room right now that you could probably talk to about something. I imagine they'll pray with you. Maybe you're not looking for solutions. Maybe you're just looking for somebody to talk to. That's okay. But if the Lord's working on your heart, do not leave without talking to somebody about it. Just pray with us, please. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much, Father, for, uh, for grace, for forgiveness, for new starts in life. Thank you, Lord, for what you tell us about life as we walk in this world. This world's not our home, but we're here for a while. And Lord, you want to walk with us. Help us to take your hand and walk and take you with us each and every day.